Welcome to the Operate Intelligently podcast, the podcast for all things operations. Hey listeners, welcome to the podcast. This is your producer, Grace. Uh, Also, happy 2020. Excited about this new decade, this new year. And with that comes a few changes even around the podcast here. So I would like to officially welcome and introduce you to, if you don't already know him, our new host, Josh Peach. Uh, thank you, Grace. Uh, that's producer extraordinaire, I think, is what we refer to you as. You're too that. kind. <laughs> so, Josh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're excited about with the podcast this year. Yeah, this is uh, this is a great endeavor for me. I started doing podcasts uh, a little over a year ago and big fan of the Operate Intelligently podcast, but I've been with the dude for uh, 16 years, so I refer to myself as the dude dinosaur. Uh, started in sales in New England. I live uh, just outside of Boston with my, my fiance and our two kids and menagerie of animals. And um, uh, the last five years became the dude evangelist, so I spend most of my life on the road talking to organizations, associations, and large groups of people, not just about our solutions, but about you know mindset, attitude, teamwork, leadership, all the things that people need to uh, establish and go through changes, which might be implementing technology. So uh, really excited to share uh, some of my stories, mostly our guest stories, uh, experiences, some learning lessons, and, uh, and help those that take care of the places that we live, learn, heal, work, and now play. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Welcome, and we'll dive into the episode now. Awesome. Thanks so much. Hello, Operate Intelligently podcast listeners. Uh, This is Joshua Peach, my first episode hosting the Operate Intelligently podcast, and I am excited to be in the galactic headquarters of Dude Solutions in our new studio and welcoming a seasoned veteran of the Operate Intelligently podcast, Paul Lachance. Paul, welcome to the podcast again. Thank you, Josh. It's it's great to be here. Paul, before we get started, let's, who are you? Where did you come from and what do you do? Well, um, my name is Paul Lachance. I am a member of the team at Dude Solutions. I focus on maintenance technologies and kind of where is the industry going and what are impacting the day-to-day lives of our clients and how can we make sure our solutions can cover that. Yeah, and you've been in this industry for a couple couple minutes. (laughs) I'm probably older than the average Yep. listener of this podcast, yes. Um, I've been in the CMMS, the, the maintenance software world, uh, going back into the early 90s. So yeah, I've been around the block a little bit. Yeah, and your your accent is uh, Southern North Carolina or Northern North Carolina? It's really more Southern Maine, Okay, if you really must know, but I love the great state of North Carolina. Yeah, so... Uh, well, that's great. I'd love to have a fellow New Englander. I'm, you know, I'm just, as you know, south of Boston, and we're both down here uh, in North Carolina today. And uh, what we're going to talk about for the next couple minutes is uh, change in workforce and how technology affects it. You know, we were talking uh, a little bit before we started, we were talking about the generations. You know, we're talking about most generations and uh, the workforce today, and, and technology really plays into it. Talked about just finding out about it. I'm a Zennial, uh, you know, which is uh, the, uh, what did I say it was? The, the analog, birth analog, digital grow up uh, generation. So we've got all these different folks working today and um, the workforce is definitely changing in a bunch of different ways. So, um, you know, just some statistics so people understand kind of what 
that means is uh, last year there were 7.6 million unfilled jobs with only 6.5 million looking for it. So there was a, a million uh, gap. And 80% of Americans agree that there is a skills gap. Uh, in the next 10 years, there's going to be a 10 million shortfall, 10 million person shortfall of workers. One in five Americans will be 65 or older, which I'm really excited to talk about on our next episode with senior health living because of the increase of, of people getting old. Um, and 50% of operations personnel are set to retire. And uh, this is all new, right? This is all new stuff and uh, big, big time changes all over the place. I'm not sure it's new because yeah. <laughs> these people have been, we've all been getting older this whole time, yeah. um, but it's really becoming um, obvious and you, you know, you can't even uh, listen to the news much anymore when you hear about shortage of workers, not only in this economy mm-hmm. that we have right now, but there's a lot of people set to retire. I can, I can vividly remember about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, we started just talking about this concept of the aging workforce mm-hmm. with the baby boomers starting to really take over at, at this management level of organizations, maintenance and otherwise, mm-hmm. and now they are really getting close to the retirement age. And it's, yeah. it's really kind of put uh, all industries kind of upside down a little bit, scrambling to how they can um, fill these roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you combine that with the technology that's changed. So... The shortfall of skilled workers combined with the aging population is really a, a sort of a tsunami of change that we're, we're looking at. Yeah, and then when I was saying new, I meant like the, the, the numbers, the sheer numbers of the, of the gap of, oh, yeah. of workers. And then when you touch on the technology, the technology has never moved faster. Like I tell people all the time, if you want to watch a video that's scary <laughs> about, you know, kind of how things happen is watch a video called Shift Happens. Do a search on YouTube. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's no. got trippy music, and it's from like 2005 or 2006, and it gives statistics like MySpace would have been the 12th largest country if, you know, if it was an actual country, and we know MySpace isn't around anymore, <laughs> Facebook and the Instagram and all these other platforms have taken over, but the ex- the speed in which technology is changing and evolved what they thought back then, which was scary, it's even faster today, which makes it even more, I call it interesting and exciting because it can fill some of the gaps of where we're at with the workforce. So let's let's dig in. Um, with the lack of skilled workers, what does contract labor look like in the industry? Well, when you have fewer people who are in your organization and you're having a hard time filling those roles, you're forced into more contract labor. Contract labor is typically more expensive um, and maybe... Um, not as cohesive with your own workforce. So there's a number of changes that um, this this changing workforce d- makes on an organization. So, you know, organizations are struggling to find good, skilled workers um, with the experience that they need in these, in these modern roles um, and with the retiring people. So you're looking to other sources because you still have to do the work. Mm-hmm. So you lean towards contracting, which is a great stopgap method, but is not necessarily sustainable. And mm-hmm. might, if you're a for-profit industry, affect your profitability or, or affect your budgets in the public sector. So everybody, I think, is scrambling to try to figure out how we're going to cope with these changes. Mm-hmm. So in the contract labor piece, too, one of the things that I find that's important in my, in my experience, I think that there's a great, I think there's goods and bads to everything. But one of the things that I always tell people to focus on, if you are going to contract out that work, that you should have control of that information, making sure that you have a tie to that data, 
you know, that history because you own the building or you lease the building and the space, the equipment, whatever it is. Um, if you have somebody come in from the outside, you want to make sure that you're capturing everything that they're doing and so that if they do leave, because that happens a lot, you want to make sure that that historical information, that historical life is, is with you and not with someone else. Right? It's an excellent point. And it, in even things like <clears throat> the reminding of your preventive maintenance, mm-hmm. um, whether it's your own team yeah. or it's a contractor, you still want to be in control and know that that's being properly scheduled. So, you know, a good, a good software system should help you um, enable your own staff along with outside contracting staff as well. And that history and capturing that history, regardless who does the work, yeah. on staff, uh, you know, uh, staff personnel or contract personnel, it's critical to know that that history for sure. I totally agree. Yeah, so, you know, <laughs> I've had a couple conversations lately with regard to technology. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen my LinkedIn picture, but I'm holding like a corded phone. Um, I went to an 80s party, and uh, that's a members-only jacket I'm wearing, too, which is pretty slick. But uh, that quarter phone was a bag phone, right? So the bag phone was, I don't know, you, I don't, you probably never had one of those. I, I, that was my, my, my purse phone I would carry around in the you know, late 80s, early 90s. I use that as a relation, uh, you know, kind of a relatable thing when I talk about technology, that evolution that some, some kids in our workforce today, I mean, in here, you know, our youngest employee is 21 years old. He was born. Probably doesn't know much about a bag phone, you know. So I always use that as a relation. Do you have some relations or even the, the phone that you... You, you, you are way more cutting edge than me, and I am older than you. <laughs> I, I, I saw a briefcase phone once, and I actually had to use it yeah. to call home. A, a professor of mine in college had one. Yeah. And I, he opened up the briefcase, I looked at the thing, I had no idea what it was, and I made a call. He, he charged me $5. Yeah, this yeah. was back in, like, 1987. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the phone is an excellent example of what's changed as far as technology. I mean, if you want to have some fun, just Google, um, uh, on go, go on YouTube and look up videos of kids trying to, like, parents testing their kids to call 911 on a rotary phone. Right. You know, the house is going to burn down. Um, but phones is an excellent example of what's happened. We've seen changes in our lifetimes. Um, the, the, the first cell phone, the bag phone, I mean, was, was in 19, it was, came out in 1983. And it had a price tag at the time of $4,000. Yeah. Um, in 2012, Apple was um, selling more than 340,000 iPhones per day. Um, that's four phones every second. So you know, obviously proliferation of phones we all know we all have them our kids have them our parents have them our grandparents have them everybody has them um and it's really changed um the technology has changed to the point now where we rely on these devices to assist us in the maintenance process but i think that's an excellent example of how in our own eyes all of us have seen how fast something like the phone can change oh yeah and and what it can do for you and, you know, the iPhone, you use the iPhone as an example. The iPhone 11X is like 1500 bucks, uh, but it can take a picture of the dark and see things that no, the human eye can't see and all these things. That, and uh, I had someone that was complaining to me about the cost of it. And like you say, I can remember my bag phone was like 1000 bucks. And the camcorder that I had that you had to put on your shoulder, that was about 1000 bucks. And this was pretty the, strong. This in was days. in the 90s. Oh, yeah, you were huge. If you went on vacation, you had your camcorder, you had your, you had your bag phone, you had your you had your camera that took pictures with film. You might have had an instant camera like a Kodak or Polaroid that would pop out. You had that around your neck. 
you, know, you had all these tools. If you wanted to do math and you weren't good at it, you had to have a calculator in your pocket because your phone couldn't do it, right? So you, like, think about all the things that our phone can do that we take advantage of that just 20 short years ago, you know, you needed to have a trailer attached to your car to bring all those tools with you. I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, and, it's, it, and, it, and it's making the workforce so much better in what they can do. I mean, now you can take that phone. You touched on PM. You can take that phone, walk out to a piece of equipment, snap a picture of it, take a, you know, take a screenshot of the plate, take a screenshot of a change. Asbestos, you know, if you're checking for asbestos line pipes, making sure that nothing's changed since the six months prior that you went out there, you can take a picture, record it, document it, put it all from what's in your pocket. 10, 15 short years ago, you couldn't do that. And people don't remember that stuff. We forget about it really quick. Yeah. Um, well, see, the, the maintenance operations world is totally changed. You, you have access to your information, whether you're in the plant or you're in the school or you're in the, in the facility or you're on vacation. You can still look up a work order and make sure that that critical work order is being addressed. So, yeah, yeah it's changed. It's changed everything. What else, what else is out there that you would give as a kind of an interesting, you know, throwback, realize, wake up, see what's out there today, uh, thought? Well, you know, the, the, the tools that, that our maintenance professionals use have dramatically changed. One good example is the multimeter. Everybody knows what a multimeter is who's in the maintenance world. Um, but the original multimeter, mm-hmm. w- which was called, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to butcher this, it's hard to say, galvanometer. I'm sorry for you people out there who, who use those at one point. But probably, <laughs> it might have been before all of our time. It was invented in 1820, the original one. It was the first moving pointer counter-detecting device. What we know as multimeters were invented in the 1920s, and they were invented as radio receivers and other vacuum tube electric devices became more common. Um, and, you know, so I'm sure there are people listening to this podcast who, who may remember uh, the analog multimeters, but nowadays pretty much everybody's using a digital multimeter. So this thing, this this device that you probably risk getting shocked with using back in the older times, now uh, completely safe, completely digital, completely automated, can send the readings into the cloud. I mean, multimeters, digital multimeters are, are an excellent example. A multimeter is not necessarily a complex tool to use. But it is an example of a tool that's pretty dramatically changed, and, and it's an example of how today's workforce, you know, they can't get, you, you can't get away anymore with these old school tools and have no knowledge of the modern ones. We, um, as a society, as manufacturers or schools or hospitals or, or uh, municipalities, have to make sure that our team knows how to use these new tools. It's very difficult to do our jobs without having that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a, you know, I look at some of the tools to, for, uh, you know, some of the uh, infrared tools that are really cool. Have you seen, I mean, I'm sure you've oh, seen gosh, those. Oh, gosh, yes. Thermal cameras. Attached to your phone for 99 bucks, right? Yeah. Uh, the ability to, to see through walls, to see, uh, you know, air gaps, leaks, uh, roof checks, all those things. I mean, we have all these advancements in our building, our maintenance and tools that we use and the, and, and the, uh, the changes that happen. I mean, whenever, um, well, you're in New England, and I think it's in the same in Maine, but in Massachusetts, you're required after every weather event to do a roof check. That's that's a requirement that you're supposed to do uh, for any uh, public building. And, uh, you know, what what do people do? Get a ladder, climb up on the roof, go walk around, check, look, see what's going on. 
Now today, 450 bucks. You got a drone, you got a thermal cam on it, you blast that thing up, do a scan by, you're all done. No risk, uh, very low risk. I mean, you could fly the drone into yourself, but uh, you know, low, low health risk from having to get up on a ladder, do all that stuff. It's a one-man operation opposed to technically someone holding the ladder, getting somebody up doing all that stuff. And it's going to be more accurate because those devices are better than the human eye and better than a spot check at any at any uh, any place you go. And some of the old timers will lament. You know, you used to do maintenance a lot by your your senses. Mm-hmm. You see things, you smell things, you feel, you touch, and you feel that heat. Right. Um, and nowadays, these things have become automated. And I do believe ultimately it is for the better, more accurate, and that data can be delivered quicker and, and, and electronically. Um, but you know, those people who are used to walking up on that ladder who don't know how to fly a drone, we have to. Our organizations have to create training and instructions and be able to tie that information back into our technology, our software, mm-hmm. to, to capture that information. So, yeah, it's a major change. Yeah, you know, you actually touched on something that, that struck a chord with me, which was the, uh, the YouTube videos about kids dialing with a rotary phone. You know, there's something to be said about that, and there's something about the lamenting comment when I owned a, a spring water delivery business with my father, we had a 3 by 5 metal box, and it had the numbers 1 through 31 and the letters A through Z. It was a card file system, and you never wanted to open that thing up. You wanted to have everything in your brain because it was just such a pain in the neck to pull the card, look at the phone number, push the buttons, because we call everybody the night before we make the delivery. And then through osmosis, you're doing that delivery. That's PM delivering water, by the way. Uh, you, your PM for them is making sure they don't get thirsty. Those bottles aren't empty. So you scheduled it perfectly so that you timed it so they didn't have too much there, be it they never ran out, right? But you always memorized all that stuff. And that was one of the things that I fought for a long time was I liked having that information that way because it was in my head. And you can get analysis paralysis and you can get overwhelmed thinking with all this information. But the reality is it's not just about you, right? Because if I have all this information in my head, and I'm doing a great job, that's fantastic. But what happens when somebody comes in to take over for me? We never think about that next step. We never think about what happens when I leave. We never want to think that we're going to leave. We want to think we're immortal and we're going to be in this place forever, right? But we need to start to leverage and think about all the stuff we have and putting it into technology in some capacity and putting it into that, that daily use for when I'm sick. So. Or when you retire. I mean, yeah. you're leaving a legacy, and somebody's going to have to know how to do your job. And if they have to just figure it out on the fly, or, or when I, it's way easier if we can capture yeah. what you did, how you did it, and, and record that information. Yeah. So, Paul, what do you have for some other examples uh, that you can relate, give some relation to? HVAC. You look at the way HVAC has evolved. I mean, HVAC and People probably know this because it's gone back since the dawn of time. The original HVAC was hand fans. It's been around Mm -hmm. forever. You can see it in the Egyptian hieroglyphics. Uh, But it was the early 1900s where we started to see, we'll just use the air conditioner as as an example here, started in the early 1900s and created by um, Willis Carrier. You might know the name Carrier. Um, But, you know, these were were complicated devices back then, Um, mechanical yeah, obviously electrical driven, and um, there might even been some steam versions. I'm not sure. Very expensive, hard to maintain. Well, we, we don't go anywhere now, especially uh, south of Maine, mm-hmm. where there is an HVAC air conditioning in our day to day lives. And that's an excellent example of a of a piece of equipment, an asset that has uh, gone through a metamorphosis in terms of 
how we maintain them and the skill set to maintain those things. So back in the day, it was all a mechanical device. Uh, now, highly electronic, highly digitized, uh, IoT sensors on there delivering information. I think it's a, a good example of if you knew how to maintain air conditioning units in the 60s and 70s as mm-hmm. opposed to today, you've probably been back to school maybe a few times to understand that, how yeah. you maintain them. Yeah, you got to go back to school. It's not just turning the wrench, going, changing a belt, and you know, checking Freon and stuff. There's a lot more to it. There's a lot more pieces and microchips and things involved into it. And there's direct correlations to improper heating and cooling um, in a school that will mm-hmm. affect the student's experience, will affect their grades. Proper maintenance on those devices is essential. Yeah. And you know you have to have a system to do that, and you have not only a system to do that, you have to have the skills to work on it, or you're relying on contract labor, which is fine if that's the way your organization runs. But yeah. I think it's just a good example of how some of these types of assets have really evolved and the skill set needed to, to maintain them. And the work environment. You know, the my family's from Brockton. Well, we're, we migrated from Portugal and Madeira, the island, uh, an island off the coast of Morocco in the 60s, and, and Brockton was a shoe city capital of the world, small known fact. More shoes manufactured in Brockton, Massachusetts than anywhere else in the world until they went over to China, and most of my family worked in those factories. And big equipment gets hot. You know, no air conditioning. The work environment's compromised. And now today, I've gone to these manufacturing facilities, and it's just it's, it's comfortable. But you've got these huge, massive pieces of equipment just pumping out, you know, hot air. For that equipment to be able to read, engage, and, and make changes has got to be pretty... Uh, you'd, you'd have somebody sitting there turning dials, like, left and right, trying to figure out, you know, which, which one to turn on and turn off. But the smart equipment's able to do it today for you. It's all part of that integrated environment. Yep. So you got any more? For one got more, one more, you know, the factory, and it's yeah. a good segue. Yeah. Um, you picture that shoe factory, which probably hadn't changed a whole lot. Brockton, yeah. going back 100 years, uh, and you can you can picture those black and white photos of like row after row of mechanical devices and, and people standing there feeding in the raw materials or working it. And that's whether you're making shoes or you're making eyeglasses or you're making automobile engines. And then you picture the modern factory, and the modern factory, uh, for better or for worse, is largely becoming automated. Um, you still need people mm-hmm. to manage this automation, but it's changed the skill sets. Uh, we're less reliant on manual labor. We're more reliant on um, more skilled uh, digital technology-related labor workforce. And that, that's an excellent example of the changing workforce, the skill sets that are needed. And that translates to the maintenance operations as well. If you're a maintenance person in that shoe factory in Brockton, you're probably using wrenches and, and screwdrivers a heck of a lot. Whereas in the modern era, you're probably interacting more with the digital control system, your digital multimeter, looking at the IoT information, the Internet of Things, those readings and data that are coming off of those assets. Uh, that can be fed into your CMMS system to tell you when you need to maintain that. So I think it's just an excellent example of this changing workforce and the skill set it needs to maintain how these assets uh, happen. Yeah, you know, one of the things I'll I'll touch on with factories that I've just learned in a couple of tours that I did in the past year um, that's fascinating to me is uh, when we're talking about things that we have to know. If you walk into a factory that makes you know, a widget of some sort. You might walk in and might be like, wow, what's that smell? And you don't think of too much of it. It's just, it's a factory. It's making stuff, doing things. But today, because of all of the environmental impact that they've been able to find out over the last hundred years, 
these factories have to have all this equipment to take that air and clean it or take the water that they use and make sure that it's filtered properly so it doesn't run off into the local brook that goes into the... And there's all this technology that ties into it that can read and smell and sniff that goes beyond what our nose, eyes, and ears can do, which is an amazing, uh, amazing stuff that I see. And then generating those reports to make sure that they're doing the work and changing those filters. The air quality is the big one that I saw, um, that they have to make sure that they're maintaining those filters and that equipment to make sure that their employees are breathing clean air while they're making some of the best products. Probably a little different than back in the days when oh, yeah. your family was working in those shoe factories. With yeah. And it's better for our people, better for our workforce. Yeah. Um, the technology is there. It's just a matter of understanding and learning how to use it. And it's evident of the changes that we're seeing for the better. Yeah. How can teams evolve instead of falling behind here? Uh, you know, what are some of the opportunities that uh, operations professionals have for trainings, you know, today? Yeah, that's the thing is if you're part of an organization that is recognizing these changes, mm-hmm. um, you have to start embracing concept of, say, mentorship. For the aging workforce, mentorship, apprenticeship. You've got a lot of younger people. We've got five generations theoretically. I'm not even going to try to name the... Six if you micro-generate. Okay, you want to micro-generate, <laughs> yeah, the zennial, lennial, lennial yeah. ones. And you have a lot of wide range of people. You as an organization have to figure out ways where you're going to be able to capture the the knowledge um, and, and the experience of the the older workforce because they've got amazing things that they can give. Right. Um, they, they want to leave their legacy. Um, you got to capture that. So shadowing and mentorship and apprenticeship and so forth. On the other side of the spectrum for the changing workforce, we have to make sure that our our aging workforce are still there and probably will be there for a while because people are working longer than ever. Right. They understand how to use a mobile device to create a work order that ends up in their CMMS or how to use a thermal camera or things that were just not at all on their radar for the first 40 years that they worked at that company and now right. they're figuring out how to do that. So whether it's it's through um, partnership programs in your community college system or there, there's degrees you can get in this stuff for the people that are coming out of school or you organically do it within your own building. But um, you've got to figure out a way as an organization to to, to teach your, your team how, how they're going to work in this new environment. Mm-hmm. Paul, really appreciate you coming on. Love to have you again. Uh, this is a great first episode uh, for me to host, to have a seasoned veteran like yourself to kind of guide the path here. And a uh, great conversation. We'll have to talk more about the uh, micro-generations next time. We're going to do some research. Thanks for uh, having me, Josh. It was fun. Thank appreciate you. it. And that'll do it. Thank you so much, and have yourself a great day. Thanks for listening to the Operate Intelligently podcast, produced by Dude Solutions. You can reach us by emailing dspodcast at dudesolutions.com or check us out on the web at dudesolutions.com.